And we're going to start this week with a little segment we like to call Offscreen Pays the Bills. Hey, Adam. Hey, Van. So, what's going on? Hey, nothing going on but the rent. You know how it is. And so, this podcast is brought to you by the good people at Fountain. What podcast app are you using to listen to us on Offscreen? Well, if you're a fan of the show and you want to support Adam and I, you should start listening on the Fountain app. On Fountain, you can hit the boost button on the player and send us messages or even pay for us to enjoy a coffee while we read it. Donate to the show, give us your thoughts on the movies we're covering, get involved! Best of all, Fountain's got some spiffy social features too, like the ability to share and discover clips of the best moments from all of your favourite podcasts. So download the Fountain app on iOS or Android today, or visit fountain.fm to learn more. And now, on with the show. Agent Argyle's migrating some American fiction to the zone of interest, and we're getting gassed up for the Iron Claw. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Adam Ball, and this is Off Screen, your seven day guide to everything movies. Boom. Groovy. Hello and welcome back to the show then. Uh, I hope you're doing good. We're going to address the elephant in the room straight away in case you wonder why I'm sounding a little bit worse for wear. And that's because I am on my deathbed. I have man flu and uh, I've had it for a few days now. I'm just about pulling through. You know how it is, Van. It's, I'm, I'm almost there. Still coughing my guts up, but, you know, I'm all right. <laughs> it's never on a week when there's a good solid virus thriller out, is it? It's never the way. <laughs> Trust you. Well, we have got a load of great movies to talk about this week. Some of them are already out. Some of them came out last week. Um, we're going to start with something I myself am really passionate about because it came out last week and myself and uh, my partner's little girl and my son, we all sat down last weekend and watched this. And, well, I'm not going to say too much. I'll, I'll join in once Van has given his opinion on this. So it's migration. And, yeah, what did you think, Van? What did I think? Well, I'll, I'll start by saying what it is, first of all, because it was the new animated family movie from Illumination, you know, the Minion Company, who I think they've got Despicable Me 4 out uh, in, in a couple of months, which I don't, I've not seen the trailer for. And to be honest, do I need to? I like the Despicable Me movies. I'm going to review it professionally anyway, and even if I wasn't, odds are I'd see it, because... I, I like the Despicable Me movies. I'm making no apologies. Grew for life, dog. That I sit on the toilet. But it's one of my favourite uh, gags from, from uh, any animated movie of the last few years, uh, last decade or so now for, for Despicable Me. Um, so this is their new one. And this is about a, an animated family of ducks. Uh, the dad is voiced by Kumail Nanjiani, um, who's obviously in, in the news this week for you know issues relating to the Eternals. Uh, the mum is voiced by Elizabeth Banks, you know, queen of the, the rom-com, director of of, uh, called the Pitch Perfect sequels and the Charlie's Angel, last Charlie's Angels one, and uh, the idea is in in very traditional sort of family road trip style dynamics. You've got a cowardly dad uh, who's who's raised his kids, kind of his family in a sheltered environment. Think uh, uh, Marlon from Finding Nemo, the dad from Finding Nemo. Uh, you know, he, he fears the outside world, so he raises, he keeps his family in a state of fear. They don't go out there. Everything, everything wants to get you, kind of thing. And then one day, a family of you know a, a remote ducks touches down in their pond, and they're on their way. They're migrating south for the winter. Is yeah, the birds go south for the winter, isn't it? I'm not really, I'm not an ecologist. What do I know? <laughs> you know, I'm saying, I'm, I'm saying this like I'm you know one of the Jurassic Park experts on birds, um, right? So the kids obviously take a liking to this idea, start pestering dad. It's rather like that Simpsons episode. Can we get a pool, dad? Can we get a pool, dad? Can we get a pool, dad? And he you know, realizes he's pushing his family away, doing all this. Decides, you know what? We'll go on an adventure. We'll go on an adventure. We'll go to Jamaica. 
Only they've never done this before. They don't exactly know the way, and they get lost along the way, stopping for a brief respite in New York for directions. I've got a clip for you. This is from early in the movie. You'll remember this bit. This is the dad announcing to his family that this set of National Lampoons are going to take a vacation of their own. Come on, we gotta get ready. Mac, ready for what? Nothing. Just, you know, for our big, super fun family migration. What? Ha! But you didn't see that coming. Uh, are you serious? Yep, an adventure into the totally unknown. And I'm gonna love it. Whoa, 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 whoa. Is this real? <laughs> what do you mean, is this real? We're really going. Yes. On a migration. Mm-hmm. To Jamaica? Yeah. Together. Yes. Like everyone. Yes. Including you. Yes, we are all going on a migration to Jamaica. And which language should I tell you? <laughs> Thanks, Dad. You're welcome. <gasps> I knew there was some adventure left in you. Oh, I want to see it again now, like for the third time. It's, I thought it was so good. My favourite character in here, uh, the little baby bird, Gwen, and the bit that just yeah. had all the whole family in tears of laughter was the moment when Gwen was trying to convince yeah. the dad that he goes, please, for yeah. ages. Uh, it's just so good. I swear I thought you were going to say it was the poop gag. She's the whole thing about, you know, Mom, I need to stop. I need to go. We're birds. We're flying. That's not what we do. Which is a, a sort of, it's, it's a nice spin on a pretty universal gag about, you know, how the kids always want to pull over and go to the bathroom. Um, a gag we didn't get to touch on, actually, was the fact that she, she names the dad in that clip as Mac. They are the mallard family, which I thought was a really nice touch. Mac and Pam Mallard, which I thought brilliant. And as far as the cast, it's quite a funny film. It's quite a, it's yeah. a three-star film. It's nothing particularly revolutionary. It's like a three-star film. But it's got enough charm to it. There's enough sort of charm through the, 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 the humour and the personalities in there. And as far as those personalities go, what you've got is a, is a cast that's largely playing to type. So you get, you know, Kumail in there to play Kumail. Elizabeth Banks is kind of playing the Beverly Deanne character from the National Lampoon's movie but that's well within her wheelhouse and then you get uh, for instance Danny DeVito showing up as is he Uncle Dan and he's just Danny DeVito as a duck which fair enough Danny DeVito is pretty universally hilarious like anyway like you can put him in any animated guys and it works I can say nothing that's going to particularly reinvent the animation genre don't expect to see this turning up for like best animated feature nominations next year or anything like that I know the awards isn't the be all and end all film but like just to prove a point like this isn't the kind of thing you put forward for that and you know I think given the choice between for instance this and a new Disney release kids would probably flock to the Disney one, but as a sort, as as a part of the Illumination canon, you know, to go alongside, for instance, Sing, and and Despicable Me and Minions movies and things like that, I think it works very well. Illumination obviously did the Mario Brothers movie last year as well, and this is nowhere near as good as a Mario Brothers movie. Like this isn't this isn't one tenth as good as the Mario movie because I think that was great. But I think, as you yourself point out, it's great for a, a family viewing experience. It's a great family watch. I think. Absolutely. It is a Saturday afternoon while it's raining. Get the family together. All watch it. You will all enjoy it. You'll all laugh. It's got jokes that kind of go over kids' heads a little bit. But the thing that I really love about it is not only the jokes, and obviously the timing is absolutely bang on, but I think the animation with the expressions, like when they meet the heron and the heron's head comes down and like, oh, it's just, it's just, it, it tickles you the whole way through, really. 
Because uh, it reminded me at times, actually, of one of my very favourite animated... It was an animated Disney one, actually, from the late 80s, Oliver and Company, which was an animated version of Oliver Twist, with, I think, with cats. Were they, were they cats or dogs? I can't remember in Oliver and Company. <laughs> um, and it's a sort of forgotten Disney movie from about 88, 89, and it's really good. And there's a moment in this movie in which we're introduced to Aquafina as the leader of a group of Central Park pigeons. In which, like, oh, this is very Oliver and Company. I quite like this. And she's, you know, playing, again, talk about playing it to type. Aquafina is just playing Aquafina. But it works. Uh, I will also, I will also ask, did you, did you find the villain a bit weirdly hilarious in this, in a very strange, sadistic way? Like, this guy really likes ducks. Like, in a, in a very almost problematic way, this guy likes ducks. Which part? Which part do you mean? The evil chef, the chef villain. Oh yes, do you know who he reminded me of? Well, as soon as he came onto the screen, he what? reminded me of um, who's the guy salt with bay. the chef who does the salt? Salt bay. Salt bay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Salt bay. Exactly that. He's salt yes. bay, right? He's, he's halfway between like salt bay and a sadistic <laughs> nut rapist. He's yes. the only way I can describe it. Hundred percent agree. I, I mean, that made me laugh in itself. But yeah, he was slightly obsessed with the ducks. Um, yeah, but I mean, yeah. I guess it he had to be to make the story kind of work. But I would watch this again and again and again. And you know, my son was already watching, asking to watch it again after we'd watched it the second time. So you know, that speaks volumes to me. Like you say, it, it, I'd agree with you. Three star movie, but actually for a family, it's a perfect yeah. Saturday afternoon movie to watch together. Exactly. So just to clarify, this is in cinemas in the UK. In the US, it is streaming on Peacock, I believe now. It is also still in cinemas there. Uh, in the UK, this is currently on cinema release. Um, I know a five-year-old girl who went to see this. It was her first ever 3D film as well. And she wow. was absolutely blown away by it. And as, as you eloquently suggest, they immediately demanded to be taken to see it again. So, but bear in mind, the last film she saw before that was Wonka. So, you know, we were talking about a limited pantheon here. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, if you do want to enjoy that, uh, head out this weekend. It's out in cinemas from today. Just look for migration. OK, still to come then. We're going to look at the Iron Claw and Argyle in just a minute. We'll see what Van thought. So stay where you are. Hello and welcome back to Off Screen. then. Two more movies to talk about now. We're going to look at The Iron Claw in a moment. But first, let's look at Argyle, which uh, is out in cinemas from the 2nd of February uh, last week. Um, so, um, and, and also, we've got something else to talk about with Argyle because I interviewed one of the stars of mm. Argyle, Sam Rockwell, recently. So we'll talk about that in just a bit. But um, talk us through what the movie's about on this one. I'm, 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 not, I'm, not, I'm not unjealous of that, by the way. I, I've always wanted to meet Sam Rockwell. I never <laughs> have. I would love to. Um, but, OK, so obviously we, we would have covered this last week. We had a technical issue with the recording. But happy accident about that is when we recorded our review that we didn't get to use last week, uh, that was before it came out who had actually written the book. So there was a whole multimedia mystery around this about who really wrote the novel. Because there is actually a real novel that the mo- that sort of ties in with the movie. It's written, I've got a copy of like a promotional copy, and it's written by Ellie Conway, the fictional writer in the movie. The rumour was that it was Taylor Swift. And then the rumour was that it was J.K. Rowling. And there's a joke during the rounds that to prove that it's to give credence to the theory that it was J.K. Rowling, the reviews say it's rubbish. So it clearly must be J.K. Rowling, which, 
As a gag, I quite like. As a, as a gag, I do, I must say. Um, so this is a new spy comedy from uh, director Matthew Vaughan. I'm going to say writer-director. He never really writes. Uh, director Matthew Vaughan, who, of course, started out as Guy Ritchie's producer, made his debut with Layer Cake, and then did Stardust, Kick-Ass, Kingsman, uh, X-Men First Class is in there as well. And... As a general rule, we tend to keep away from sequels. That's that's sort of the Matthew Vaughan rule. Just keep the man away from sequels. He can't do them for toffee. He can't produce them. can't do anything with sequels. So don't ever allow him to do a sequel to this. So, and he's written by Jason Fuchs. Uh, an original work, even though there is a sort of fictitious novel upon which it is based, which I think is meant to be part one. It's a whole complicated mess. Uh, Lee Conway, the fictionalised writer of the book, is played on screen by Bryce Dallas Howard. And she is the, the writer of a series of spy novels centering around Agent Argyle, who is played on screen by Henry Cavill. She is then, in reality, targeted by a, uh, an organisation of assassins known as The Division, uh, who set upon her because her books happen to contain national secrets. In other words, she's not making up this spy stuff, she's actually getting it right, and they want more info from her. However, the real Agent Argyle turns up, played by Sam Rockwell, only he can protect her from all of the chaos and all of the bloodshed and all of the violence and all of the bullets and bombshells, coming her way. Have a listen. The book is phenomenal, sweetie, but... What happens next? It's called a cliffhanger, Mother. Ellie, it's called a (laughs) cop-out. Whoa! Hey! There's a cat in there! Oh my god, you're Ellie freaking Conway. Author of Argyle series, Ellie Conway! I am such a fan! Oh yeah? What is it you do? Espionage. Would you sign my book? Here we go. I love this book. I've seen the trailer a couple of times for this, and I, I really like the look of it. Not only has it got Dua Leaper in, who you know I'm a bit of a fan of, um, but also I, I kind of was watching it thinking, I know who, the, who is this lady? And it's the mum from Home Alone. Catherine O'Hara. She's from Shit's Creek as well, uh, with a uh, CH. Yes, don't off on me. Uh, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I, and do you know what? There's, she is the MVP. Like, you know, Catherine O'Hara is, is the MVP, the bright, shining star of Argyle. Dua Leaper actually does make a bit of an impression as well. And and uh, she and or Henry Cavill gets to perform with her the most envy-inducing dance move you've ever seen depicted on screen. I'm not even kidding. Like we're talking Jim Carrey and Cameron Diaz in the mask level hotness here. Wow, that, that kind of dance. Um, but but you know, so there's, there's some fun to be had. The problem with it is it's too convoluted. It's too long. It's quite bloodless for a Matthew Vaughan movie, which I found quite strange and when you combine it being bloodless with Matthew Vaughan's usual hyperkinetic over the top stylized sense of violence that just seems a little damp a little weak it's a bit of a damp squib you know it doesn't quite work and it kind of the whole story just doesn't make sense it has a simple enough like narrative that you could just work through but they feel the need to overcomplicate it and that, the only fun you really come away from it are come away from it with are other than Catherine O'Hara and, and Dua Lipa are the sequences in which you get like an action sequence and you see Sam Rockwell kicking some guy's ass, but from Bryce Dallas Howard's perspective, he changes into Henry Cavill, so it kind of cuts between the two. Like one will throw the punch when the guy swings back around, it's the other one doing it, and it's it's quite a novel little touch. It works quite well, but it works in that way that's a lot like uh, the Lost City with Sandra. What the opening minutes of the Lost City. Uh, with Sandra like that blown out to an entire movie, but the emphasis on is on the blown out 
It is quite bloated. It is quite a flabby, overly, needlessly complex movie. It cost $200 million. It was made for streaming originally. I think it was made for Apple TV, and then it was persuaded to be put into cinemas as an actual like theatrical release as well. So this, this is going to go to, to stream where... It will, to be honest, sit as probably the better example alongside something like Red Notice or Ghosted, which is yeah, it's fine, but that's you know, it, you know, hats off to it. It's better than those movies, but that's not much of a brag. Well, if you want to go and see it and make your own mind up, you can because Argyle Lads is already out in cinemas. It came out on the second of February. Uh, right then, the Iron Claw uh, again. This also came no, out on the second. I, I, of February. I got that wrong. That's my fault. I, oh. I, I wrote that wrong on the script. This is actually out today. This is the new one with Zac Efron. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking that as I was saying it. I was thinking I'm sure it wasn't out last we week. Didn't talk so there about you go. That. No, exactly. The Iron Claw, then, out today. Um, I don't know a lot about this one, actually. So, um, yeah, talk me through this a little bit. You're going to be fascinated by this. Do you know the story of the Von Erich family? They were a family of wrestlers. Do you know the story? No, no, no idea. So, basically, legendary wrestling family. They are depicted for the screen. They were, they were, uh, there was, there was the dad who had come up in like the, the late fifties, early sixties, and he was the first wrestler to take on the name Von Erich, and it was a character name. He played a Nazi wrestler. And that's where he took the name from. He actually, the family's name, I think, was Adkisson. I think they were Adkisson. And uh, they, they all would use the name Von Erich to be part of the legacy of, again, a Nazi heel character, which is a choice. He then, he never quite achieved the, the, the championship. And he then raised his sons to achieve it for him. As he said, doesn't matter which of us gets it, one of us is getting that belt in this house. You know, that one of us is getting the championship belt into this house. Like, this is where it belongs. It's about the family now. And he raises his sons. He had, In reality, he had six sons. In the context of the movie, there are five. There is an entire brother missing. The oldest brother is played by Zac Efron. The second youngest is Jeremy Allen White from The Bear. Third youngest is Harris Dickinson. Um, interestingly, from the Kingsman prequel. The lead from the Kingsman prequel as well. And the story is about the Von Erich family curse, in which this wrestling family just seemed to be fated to a series of dark and unfortunate endings, one by one, that just took them down through the years. Like they all died under mysterious and unusual circumstances, not really that mysterious, but unusual circumstances and incredible, uh, incredibly you know, low odds that this one family had this run of bad luck. And we see that dramatized on the screen, written and directed by Sean Durkin, who gave us Martha, Marthy, uh, Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene. That's the one I can uh, try saying that three times fast, Adam. Go on. No, I'd rather Martha not. Martha, I'm not going to succeed. Martha Marcy Yeah. Anyway, so we see Martha that. Martha Marcy Mayla Lee, Marlene. Um, we've got, uh, you'll be able to hear Holt McCallany in there as uh, as the dad as well. So have a listen. This is the Iron Claw in cinemas from today. Together, we can do anything. We're here to restore justice to the wrestling federation that our father built with his own two hands. The hands that were passed down to us. The hands that will deliver the iron clock to you. So what do you think? Like we're alive. I love your family, Kevin. Don't be uncle? Yes, sir. Oh, man, that makes me so happy. I talked to you about something, Mom. Dad's too tough on us. You gotta say something. Baby, that's what your brothers are for. Feel that? Ah. You feel that? Ah. That's pressure. 
Watching the trailer to this, I, 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 what I do absolutely love is the 80s throwbacks that are in here because it is proper 80s all the way through, isn't it? it uh, yeah, the bulk of it does take place in the 80s. Uh, certain events take place in the early to me. I think it, the, the final events we see depicted are about 1993, if memory So I think they're about 93. Right. Uh, I actually do know some of the history behind this because it is just one of those fascinating wrestling stories. And I'm kind of obsessed, like, a lot of people with the idea of curses regarding certain sets in the entertainment industry. There is, for instance, the, the Superman curse, quite famously. Um, this is a great movie. This is a really great movie. Uh, might be one of the best wrestling movies ever made. Like, hands down. This is up there with Aronofsky's Wrestler as just, this is a terrific wrestling movie. However, there is a massive caveat in that. And this is, again, this is outside the text of the movie. I'm just saying, as someone who does know the story... This is not a very good depiction of the events that took place because there is some... Well, there's artistic license and there's what they do here. (laughs) I mean, putting aside that they removed an entire brother who, again, died under mysterious circumstances. Allegedly, the reason he was removed is because six was too much. To which you then sit there and think, well, five was all right. Five was okay, but six was too much? Really, Sean? Okay. Um, You've then also got certain events that have been reframed so as to, I think, play up the uh, quote-unquote tragedy of it all, rather than any self-involvement. And I'm specifically referring to an alleged overdose. It's a quite widely alleged overdose. Like, it's quite commonly referred to as just being an overdose. But within the context of the film, it's played as being, you know, it was fate. You know, and he died of appendicitis, kind of thing. He's like, I've heard the stories from more than a few very household names. So, yeah. It's it's kind of the perfect length. It clocks at just over two hours. And there's a lot of story to be told. There's a lot of story to be told. And there are some great performances powering you through it. Zac Efron is tremendous, both physically and dramatically. You can't take your eyes off the guy in the film. It doesn't even look like him. But he's got this yeah. huge, hulking physique, the like of which you've never seen. I thought the guy got shredded for Baywatch. I was going to say, is this legit? I, I mean, watching the trailer, like, it's there's no CGI or anything. He's okay. literally bulked up that much. I think I think they have to have done some makeup prosthetics around the face, but the body, I believe, is him. Uh, Jeremy wow. Allen White as well really kicks into high gear on the uh, on the physique stakes for this. Um, Holt McCallany as well. Uh, again, this is one of the caveats. Holt McCallany is great within the movie, although as a depiction of the guy he's playing is not terrifically on point. The actual guy was nothing like. Like that. Um, also, very nice to see Maura Tierney in a movie. I've not seen her in anything for quite a while. I think she's known to most people for ER and for being the mum in Liar Liar, the Jim Carrey movie Liar Liar. And she gets to turn up. You also get uh, Lily James, you know, goddess level Lily James turning up, who gets a decent role early on, but is then kind of just forgotten about. Um, I really liked it. As I say, I think it genuinely is one of the best movies ever made about wrestling. But as a depiction of true events of wrestling, take it with a pinch of salt. Well, there you go. If you're going to take it with a pinch of salt, you can go and see it because it's in cinemas from today, The Iron Claw. Okay, still to come, Gassed Up and The Zone of Interest. Uh, We'll talk about both of those in just a second. Stay there. Hello and welcome back to Off Screen. Then, so we have got gassed up to talk about in a moment, but let's start with American fiction. So, uh, talk to us about what this is all about, Van. It looks quite deep. 
it, it, I mean, deep. It, it is deep, but it's also hilarious. Uh, you can't have missed the posters for this. It's Jeffrey Wright in a suit looking very eloquent, and they've, they've sort of sketched very stereotypical sort of gangster imagery over him, like gangster clothing and like pimp rings and things on him. And uh, so, and that kind of eased the plot of it in a nutshell. So, um, new movie starring Jeffrey Wright, who has been nominated for Best Actor for this, it's worth noting. And uh, it's he is um, Thelonious Ellison, Thelonious Monk Ellison, uh, a very erudite, very academic, very scholarly author who has written extensively, um, you know, written novels extensively, um, is published, is you know, revered, is but unfortunately doesn't sell many books. He's you know he's regarded as a genius, but not a bestseller. And he all he you know he makes his he makes his his bones in the meanwhile sort of teaching at a college. And he teaches, you know, African American literature in this college in a way that some of the students find quite aggressive and and taxing of their racial boundaries. But as he insists, no, this is the field. You need to study this because otherwise, how do you break out of the cycle of being what they expect you to be? And therein comes the rub. So one night, he finds himself at a at a book reading of a new up and coming young lady author played by Issa Rae, who sits on stage and declares that you know she is uh, she's telling she's telling stories of truth. She's she's depicting you know the heart of the African American experience and what every Black American truly goes through and really capturing the essence of their souls. But then, in the next breath, when she's asked to actually do the reading, devolves into this really over the top stereotypical cliched. What you would just, what they would refer to as gangster voice, and much to his absolute dismay, he then gets absolutely plastered one night, and in a, in a moment of just complete professional despair at what his his industry has become, writes his own mock book. He invents a persona, who he refers to as Stag R. Lee. A, 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 a wanted fugitive, a fictitious person who's a wanted fugitive from the law, and then writes this person a memoir that he then puts out to publishers as a gag to rub in their faces and show how stupid they are, only for them to take it a bit too seriously, start offering him shed loads of money, turning him into an overnight viral sensation and a success story, and also forcing him to sort of adopt the persona for the purposes of like interviews and things like that and become everything he hates and despises. So have a listen to what happens when he's in a bookstore and asks where his books actually are on the shelves. Here you go. Right. Yeah. Wait a minute. Why, why are these books here? I'm not sure. I would imagine that this author, Ellison, is black. That's me. Ellison. Yeah. He is me, and he and I are black. Oh, bingo. No, no bingo, Ned. These books have nothing to do with African-American studies. They're just literature. The, the blackest thing about this one is the ink. I don't decide what sections the books go in, and no one here does. That's how chain stores work. Right. Ned, you don't make the rules. 
I guess this, yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. I love Jeffrey Wright, um, and I remember him from from Westworld. In fact, I'd probably find it hard to not think of him as a robot watching this, if I'm honest. <laughs> Do you know what? He's kind of emotionally closed off at times, so it's an easy mistake to make. Um, <laughs> great performance, really great performance. Uh, re- it's, it's directed with some real verve, and some. It's it's got the energy to justify its hefty satirical bite that it's got, and the humour of this really works the points that it swings for it makes with makes with a plot and it's making a similar kind of point to uh, justin simeon's dear white people from i think that was 2015 to 2017 somewhere in that sort of two years there uh, became a tv series i think shortly after i never particularly cared for that the trailer i think promised a much better movie than what we got with dear white people here this is uh, this is what i wanted from dear white people this is the one that says yes you need to break Stereotypes, you know, who you are is more important than what you are. And don't feed into that. And I really love the way that it laid out. The fact that, that this is the debut, incidentally, from uh, Cord Jefferson, who's directed, I think, co-written uh, this. And I think Cord Jefferson was a comedy writer uh, to begin with. This is his, his first effort. And it's gone down massively well. This has gotten a lot of awards love, including uh, Best Supporting Actor nomination for Sterling K. Brown as well. So both the actor and supporting actor come from the nominations come from this this year. I don't think either are particularly going to win, if I'm honest. But, you know, it's like Sterling K. Brown himself said on The Graham Norton Show, you know, it, it's being nominated with this, you know, pool of talent that's a professional highlight. You never get over that. Like, that's it. I don't care about winning. I've been told I'm as good as De Niro, you know, and Robert Downey Jr. I'm good. Like, I'm set for life. And you would be. Uh, He's great fun in the movie, though. Uh, My my favourite part of the movie really is Issa Rae when she breaks into that voice because it's so hard a turn. And it 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 leads to such a big laugh, and I, it, it, you absolutely feel for Jeffrey Wright all the way through this. If you've ever had any kind of like professional despair at the state of your own industry, you will be able to sympathise massively with this. If you've ever had issues with the depiction of your own race in media, you will love this. And if you're forced to watch something as bad as the next movie we're going to talk about you will want to watch this as well. Do not miss American Fiction. It is absolutely five-star brilliance. I cannot wait wow. to see it again. I really can't wait. And this is one of... It's one of my favourite movies that's up for Oscars this year, even though I don't actually want it to win. I, I kind of... I have other ones that I think... I, it's going to be Poor Things and Oppenheimer and Barbie this year. And yeah. You know, other than that, it's, it's one of my favourites, though. Well, if you want to watch it, American Fiction, it came out uh, last Friday, so it's already in cinemas for you to go and see. Okay, next movie, Gassed Up. Uh, Now, I'm already getting vibes from you on this that you're not too happy with it, you don't love it, so let's talk about it. I'm not too happy with it, Adam, and I don't love it. You're absolutely right, sir. You know me so well. Yeah, it's like we've been doing this for a minute. You've got you've gotten me down, sir. You've got me all sussed out. Right. So um, this is a hundred and two minute long London set crime thriller for the youth. Would be the and I am I'm emphasising the F's on that one. Um, it is uh, directed by is it George Ampanosa, I think it is. It is Am- 
Apon and Ponsa, George and Ponsa, uh, written by Taz Skylar and uh, Archie Maddox. And it centers around uh, Ash, who is a 20-year-old uh, young black British man who uh, is, is left at home to care for his 14-year-old sister. But he's actually secretly a member of a moped crime gang. They drive around on mopeds and nick your phone, that phone's out your hand. And we they do this several times over quick cut montages of like I don't is it dubstep? I'm out of touch, man. Whatever dance music the twenty year olds are into now. Uh, there's a really cringe moment, for instance, where they try and do like the the the, the, the rap battle from Eight Mile and you're just looking at thinking, it's been twenty two years and this is how far we've fallen. Like, you know, Ma- Ma- Marshall's not looking fondly down on this, you know what I mean? Um yeah. All the while he's trying to save money to get his sort of unseen off screen mother into rehab. So he has like a, a, a number he's trying to acquire. But soon enough, he has a jewellery heist gone wrong. One of his boys uh, it breaks out the acid in an attack gone wrong. And they are forced to have to make up for it, whether they want to or not. Uh, if I sound unenthused by this, have a listen to the clip and see if you can muster up any enthusiasm yourself. I don't care if every single one of you dies. I want my jewels now. Now's not the time to be running out of gas, you know, bro. We gotta be focused on what we're doing, Ash. I'm 14. I shouldn't be hungry. You got a big weight on your shoulders. You carry a well, bro. Talk to me about um, May Muller. What's she like in this? I recognise her her name. Has she been in something else pretty big recently? Past, don't know. Don't know. Don't know. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't, like, no, no. I mean, I'll be honest with you. The, the fact that I'm actually talking to you about this movie is interesting because it means I came out of the coma it put me into. If I'm honest, but I'm being I'm being disingenuous. The high one of the high points of my week this week was sitting around with Kermode for half an hour afterwards, just absolutely rinsing this god awful piece of crap. Um, it, it is everything the main character in American fiction hates and despises, and that thought would not leave my head throughout. It's one of those movies in which every third character is wearing something with Hoodrich. Uh, emblazoned oh. across here. Every second line of dialogue contains the word bear. Oh, this is bear shady, you know, and things like that. And you're honestly just cringing all the way through. It's like, it's, it's, a, it's a movie about phone thieves that's clearly been written by someone who doesn't know how phones work. Because they, at one point, they actually take a call, one of, one of the stolen phones rings, and you start thinking, wait, so you weren't turning these off. What was stopping someone from tracking you? Because you've got like 30 of these on a table in front of you, like, not one person, like, find my friends that one not one okay never mind okay i guess that's neither here nor there um it's like releasing it the week after american fiction genuinely feels like trolling it is to urban crime dramas and you know as far as urban crime dramas get kind of it is to heat what freddie got fingered is to citizen kane it's embarrassingly reductive it is reliance entirely on offensive stereotypes and cliched tropes like i say I, I, I gave up just counting the number of times Hoodridge appeared through it, if I'm honest. It's oh, really bad. It's 102 minutes, and you feel every second. I think I worked out once that I think we were alive for something like 48 million minutes in our lives, or something like that, or 4.8 million minutes. I did have the number at one point, the number of minutes that we have on this earth, on average. 
and therefore like how much you were wasting per film. And yeah, that's 102 wasted ones right there. Um, if this is gassed up, it's running on a flat tire. You know what I mean? It ain't very good. Well, if you do want to make your own mind Don't. up, oh, maybe it's Don't. maybe it's aimed at a younger demographic. Go and see, just saying that. If you go and see this over American fiction, <laughs> this is not the show for you. I'm sorry, we, we are not the people to talk to. If you're the kind of person that sees this while American fiction is showing in the same multiplex, don't even. <laughs> no. Well, it's in cinemas from today, just in case you're interested. Uh, okay, Bad so we got one. Bad boy. <laughs> we got one movie left to talk about: the Zone of Interest, and we'll see what Van thought about that in a minute. Hello and welcome back to Off Screen for One Last Ride. We are going to look now at The Zone of Interest, which was out last week on the 2nd of February. So, Van, talk to me. What was this all about? What was this all about? This You kind of miss uh, the talk of the buzz around this one. This is, the, this is actually the UK's uh, nomination for Best International Feature. Uh, the Academy Awards this year. It's also up for best feature of a best film. I think it's also up for best director. It's up wow. for I think best adapted screenplay. I think as well. It's it's up for a bunch of awards and uh, yeah, deservedly so. And uh, right, not to be cynical a second. This is this is kind of an aside. But you know how we have to have des- we have a designated type of there has to be one of every type of film nominated at the Oscars every year. This, this yeah, is the, this is the Holocaust one. For this year, just just if we're being cynical, this is the Holocaust one. But it is a very very good film. Like outside of that cynicism, this is an incredible movie. This is something that haunts you and sticks with you. So, uh, directed by, uh, well, written for the screen, co uh, adapted to the screen, and uh, directed by uh, Jonathan Glazer. It's based on the nonfiction book of the same name from I think 2011. And it follows Rudolf Hoss, you know, the commandant of the Auschwitz concentration camp, but not in a dramatized sort of, you know, typically narrative way. What has been done here is there is a unique filming style in which the Hoss family house, which literally backs onto the concentration camp to the extent that it has its own garden entrance. Would you believe? Like their own back door entrance now, just to save time, I guess. Nothing but uh, German efficiency there. And uh, it is about the family simply getting on with their lives. Just, you know, them just living their lives at home, the wife, the kids, Rudolf himself, as the Holocaust is literally taking place next door, just off screen. Deals with him being so successful at his job that he gets a promotion, that he has to leave home. His family don't want to leave home. He has to deal with that drama. And whilst we're dealing with all this familial drama, yet again, let me say, Holocaust happening next door. That is an actual thing. And uh, so you've got Christian Friedel as uh, as Rudolf Haas. You've got Sandra Hula, who uh, got a lot of acclaim for her role in Anatomy of, Anatomy of a Fall. The, also acclaimed, you know, the uh, the Academy Awards this year, Anatomy of a Fall, just in Trier's effort there. And uh, the performances they give. We can't play a clip, unfortunately, because it's it's all in German. So we kind of, we'd be limiting our audience, I think, a bit with that one. But yep. uh, when I say you've never seen a film like this, believe me, You've never seen a film like this. You've seen the footage of this, haven't you? I have, and there's a massive juxtaposition on this, obviously, with the happy life happening here, and then literally, like you say, behind the house. You can see, and it's quite harrowing, actually, you can see the smoke rising from the gas chambers while they're in their garden having, like, a tea party or whatever it might be. And, you know, that is really harrowing to watch. 
It's it's a I mean a lot of the drama of the film comes from the the, the horrific suspense of peering into the life of a monster. It, it, it is that, and, and it's not in a, in a not in, a, in, a, in an awfully humanizing way. It does make them people. It does round them out to be you know actual people, but it does kind of high point the idea of you know these these monsters were people too in their own way, and they didn't think twice. About anything they were doing. And there's horrifying moments in which, like, Sandra Hula, for instance, tries on a fur coat, prolonged sequence, which she tries on this fur coat that, you know, has come from three guesses where. And it's not a sensationalist movie in any way. It is a hard drama, a very, very hard drama that is very much about taking stock of these people and these lives they were leading, but also putting it within the context of, you know, what we know now. And as we are shown, for instance, at a point, you know, where the current, like the, I don't want to say museum elements of Auschwitz are, but where they sit in relation to where this family have been, you know, just living their lives. And the way in which, the, the just the, the just gobsmackingly offhand way in which they regard the horrors that are taking place on their doorstep. There's a, a moment in which Sandra Hula's character, her mother, comes to visit. And there is just there's a, a bit of dialogue in which she talks about a Jewish lady whose uh, whose house she used to clean, and she's oh I wonder if she's in there not in a malicious way, but just in a, an innocently curious way oh I wonder if she'd be she's in there That'd be interesting to know I, I don't know if she and, and again like not done in a in a manner that suggests malice, but done in this genuinely curious mystifyingly innocent way uh, you know the kids for instance you know taking the new canoe out for dad, you know, with dad on his birthday, when dad discovers, you know, body parts in the lake and how he reacts with all of this Jobsworth like furor when he discovers that people have been and picking his favourite lilies out of the riverbed. Like, we're trying to make this place look nice for people. We're trying to you ruin it for all of us when you do these things. You know, it's a concentration camp. And you are just sat there clenching the edge. I mean, in my case, I was watching on a screaming link, but I was clenching the edge of myself, just like leering in at the screen, being like, am I actually watching this? It was one of the most depraved things I'd ever seen. Absolutely horrifying. Just harrowing to the nth degree. It made me think of uh, the act of killing, uh, for instance. And I, I hadn't really been that shook by a movie, I think, since then. And this this very much took me back to that feeling. And you had that performance, the, those two central performances by Hula and uh, and Christian Friedel, who incidentally just has one of those vintage Nazi haircuts that seems to have made an alarming comeback in recent years. It's a, a very specific kind of undercut that uh, that really suited the SS that seems to have weirdly come back into into fashion in recent years. It, it's a real it's, it's a real experience it's not a traditional narrative in in like a set way i mean the film does have a sort of beginning middle and end but you're not watching this for the thrill of the story you're watching this for the experience of that story and there's this, an improvised sensibility to it like for instance i i think the way it works is the cast were given the scripts and then the you know the the the, the crew just all vacated the house the house was wired up you know, the house and the grounds are wired up for recording. And then the cast all just vamoosed and allowed the characters just, okay, read the script, but just improvise what you're doing whilst you do it. So you have them doing natural, naturalistic, improvised household tasks as they are delivering, you know, this this, this very cold dialogue about, you know, 
what is what is taking place as these characters are living their lives, as it were. And it just just so happens that you know Jewish household staff just scurry after them, take their boots away for cleaning, and you know, and they get yelled at for not cleaning up the dog pee quick enough whenever they've whenever the, the you know the family have had a bad day. It's absolutely jarring stuff. Uh, but the thing is, again, it's that juxtaposition of the beauty of, for instance, this family living their lives, this idyllic life on the doorstep of, as you say, the smokestacks, as they lay in their, you know, very comfortable beds at night, you hear the screams in the distance and the gunshots and this endless background hum that you hear through the film. The sound design certainly is terrific on this. There's a, a background hum that's the incinerators, that's the furnaces that you hear. And you, and you, you start, you worry about yourself at a point when you stop noticing it. And that's the moment you're like, oh, that's horrible. When you yourself stop noticing it in the way, like, for instance, when you're watching Dunkirk, the persistent clock that you hear in the background, yeah. the ticking clock through Dunkirk, you stop noticing it after a while because that's just part of the tapestry. It keeps the tone and the tempo going, but you stop noticing it. You become accustomed to it. And there is a moment with the hum of those furnaces in which you just feel a chill. When, you, when it dawns on you that that has happened to you, you feel absolutely chilled inside, and it's oh, like I say it's 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 an experience. It's this is the kind of thing I could see this becoming a staple of GCSE history classes. Like this is right, yeah. Whip out that whip that TV into the classroom and uh, and absolutely chill some kids. Like that's gonna happen, and this will be the movie that does it. Did you say it was based on true events? Well, obviously it is based on, on true events with Rudolf Haas, but it's, it comes from a non-fiction book from 2011, right. which was called The Zone of Interest. Um, so it's a, that's why I think it's up for adapted screenplay for that reason. Well, it is already in cinemas. It came out uh, last Friday, so if you want to go and see it, you can. Um, sounds like a real harrowing thing to see, but like you say, it's about the experience rather than anything else. Okay, well, uh, let's look at next week. What have we got coming up? Uh, we've got Gassed Up. Oh, no, Gassed, gassed Up. up. We, we've just, we've just we've talked about Gassed Up. We've got yeah, your, your fat friend. No, no, we've, we've, <laughs> I, I should point out, I've, I've not updated that section of the script, so that's on me. That We've still got last week's. It's because we didn't get to do a show. <laughs> la- we didn't get to do a show last week. We didn't get to put it out. So we just recycled no. the script for this week and just inserted the new releases. I'll go through them for you, though. And next week, yeah. the new releases are... Bob Marley, One Love, which is actually out on Wednesday. Yes! Yeah, that's I wouldn't get too excited based on early reviews, if I'm honest, Adam. Sorry. Oh. Um, we have also got, and I begged them to let me see this, but they are not allowing anyone to see this that's not doing the junket. Uh, Madam Web, the new Sony Spider-Man spin-off, uh, which is part of the... <laughs> I'm trying to remember what they call it. I think it's the Spunk universe. The Sony <laughs> Pictures... Be careful how you uni- say that. It's the Sony Pictures Universe of Marvel Characters, I think is the actual MCU type name, the Spunk Universe. <laughs> That's what they call it. This one stars Dakota Johnson and uh, Sydney Sweeney, so, you know, at least there's some optical reasons uh, to enjoy it, because it looks terrible, and by all accounts, seemingly from, uh, from the words of Dakota Johnson herself, it doesn't seem to be very good. Uh, we have also got Eureka next week. One I'm very much looking forward to is... Uh, Nikolai Arcel's uh, Nikolai Arcel and uh, his new one with Mads Mikkelsen, uh, The Promised Land, uh, which is next week. Mads never fails to deliver. Mads delivers in the worst of circumstances. Uh, we've got Getting It Back, the story of si- uh, Simon. Uh, we've got a reissue of Les Mis, which I'm not going to 
recovered. I don't need to see Les Mis again, ever. Not the Hugh Jackman, Russell Crowe version. Life's too, <laughs> sh- life's too short, mate. Once you've heard Russell Crowe sing once, you don't need to ever it's hear enough. it again. It's enough, isn't it? The man yeah. cannot carry a tune. Um, there is also a reissue of uh, One from the Heart next week, which I've actually never seen. Um, and someone's mother, uh, someone's daughter, someone's son, someone's mother, someone's daughter, someone's son is the indie out next week. Well, your big hitters are going to be uh, Bob Marley and uh, and Madam Web, which I, I hope to get seen. I'm going to go to some public screenings for you, but try and see those on Wednesday. So that's how I'm spending my Valentine's Day. Just just spare, spare a thought for the lady in my life. I'm going to see Madam Web and Bob Marley with my Valentine's Day. Can you see so. this tiny little violin that I've got out here, Van? <laughs> me, me, me. Oh uh, yeah, you're, but yeah, you're going to be having the you're going to be having the nice Italian meal with the you know, the violin playing and everything. And I'm going to be sat there being like, oh, her mother studies spiders in the Amazon. Yay! You know, <laughs> you're close. It's tapas Valentine's Day for me in the other ah! half this year. So you're close. <laughs> oh, to a formula, my friend. To a formula. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, some really good ones next week. I am, as you know, looking forward to the uh, Bob Marley one. So I'm looking forward to see what you think about that. But, of course, that is all we've got time for this week on Off Screen. We shall return next week. Until then, I've been Adam Ball. I've been Van Conner. And we'll be back. 